Good morning and welcome to the first Business by Logan podcast, a podcast of practical business wisdom from the business coalface for the dedicated or accidental entrepreneur. This is a joint initiative of the Logan Chamber of Commerce and Stokes Moore Lawyers, sharing the stories of business owners busting business challenges and conquering the world from Queensland's most dynamic and diverse city. We are going to hear today from Lisa Lachlan Bell, vocal coach. Yes, vocal coach. A former trained opera singer, Lisa now assists CEOs, business owners, and professionals from all walks of life to realize the potential of their human voice. She's beat cancer twice, and now she's kicking goals in an unconventional and niche consulting business. Hello everyone, and welcome to our very first Business by Logan podcast. I have here with me today uh, the lovely and accomplished Lisa Lachlan Bell, vocal coach extraordinaire. <laughs> uh, Lisa, you're somebody who knew what you wanted to do or the area you wanted to work from a very young age, I understand. Absolutely. I've never ever had a normal day job, which I'm quite proud of at the age of 47. Uh, it was just very clear for me from a very young age, you know, I think I was seven when I started to sing and it just progressed from there right throughout my year and it transitioned and has transpired so that it's my business today. Mm. I've heard a story and I may have seen some footage of you, uh, a seven-year-old Lisa, singing from the top of the rainwater tank. Yep, yep, absolutely. That was, so we, I grew up in country Victoria and my father came from a very musical family and he one day heard me tinkering on the piano that was sat in the garage in the shed and he recognized straight away she's got talent and that went on to progress and I came home from school one day and I'd had the, been given the lead role in the school musical right. and my mom said that's great can you sing I said I don't know I suppose when I was only you know, seven or eight. And so I, I got that lead role and did the performance and just got thrown in the deep end, but that was the beginning of the love affair. And that was my major form of expression from that young age. I was a very shy, introverted, um, and highly sensitive little girl. So this was the way that I could communicate to the world. I wonder if some of the people at that performance that night knew, knew what they were, that they were seeing, the debut. I don't know. I remember one of the ladies who was in the audition who actually played with my grandfather. He was a, you know, such a great musician and she knew him. So she was beside herself when she realized that the right. that the lineage had continued. And uh, so she really encouraged me and and I suppose that that time that I spent with her really stuck and I got the bug for sure. I know you spent some time at the conservatorium of mm-hmm. music. And was that the conservatorium in Queensland? Yeah, it was uh, Queensland Conservatorium. So I left, I, we spent uh, my teenage years on the Gold Coast and then I came to the conservatorium in 1990 and went through and uh, graduated with honours and went on to do my postgraduate. But once I was doing my postgraduate, unfortunately, I was struck down with an illness. So uh, it was career interrupted from that point. I want to talk about that for a minute. You've had this situation where you've known pretty much your whole life, 
Now, we like to sometimes joke, you know, or ask children, do you know what you want to be when you grow up? You knew mm-hmm. um, from, a, from a young age and we're well on that path. Um, and every sign of a very promising career. Mm. And then you received this diagnosis. Yeah, look, it was, um, there's a, there's a bit of a backstory, you know, from that. And when I was eight, unfortunately, my father had a nervous breakdown and was diagnosed as manic depressive, which today we know as bipolar. And from that age, literally overnight, my world shifted and I was living with a Mr. Jekyll. And being bipolar, he was also had tendencies to be a bit schizophrenic as well. And so my cognitive development was uh, interrupted because I lived in a constant state of fight and flight. And so I did that for 24 years living in that state, sorry, 14 years, 14 years. And then as I was coming out of the conservatorium, it just caught up with me and living in that constant state, my adrenals were fatigued, my immune system went down and they diagnosed me with Hodgkin's disease. And what were you thinking at that point? Um, Did that, obviously there's a lot of, a diagnosis like that, particularly so young, could take anyone by surprise. how did that make you feel towards, or what thoughts were going through your mind in relation to this this pathway that you'd set, set yourself up on to be an opera singer? Look, there was it was a double-edged sword because one of them was I don't know what's on the other side of this, first of all, sure. but at the same time, it was a really um, it was a timely answer to a lot of my mental conditioning that was going on from dad. So it was, a, it was quite a relief and there was lots of patterns of behavior that weren't healthy. And so there was a lot of relief in me as well to know, oh, okay, something is wrong. Because yeah. I knew for about 12 months there was a lead up and I got a lot of pain and suffering leading into it. So I knew so. something was wrong, both physically and mentally. And uh, then, when I was diagnosed, it was a time for me to take responsibility. It was an opportunity for me to take my life in my own hands and you know, put my hands back on the steering wheel and really understand myself, mm-hmm. my physicality, and what I needed to survive. So there was that element, which was really the beginning of where I am today because through diagnostics and self-help and uh, a fabulous team that I developed over the years, that has enabled me to do what I do today. So it was a double edge, of so, course. So you credit the adversity with helping get you where you oh, absolutely. and where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Dad was my greatest teacher. Uh, and I, I always talk about the story that Uh, to live in that hostile environment every single day, I had to have some kind of survival mechanism. And so I got very, very good 
at diagnosing every nuance, inflection, timing, cadence, everything. Even the way he drove up the driveway, I knew how much danger I was in. And so I would position myself in defensive mode or just go and hide, or I think I can ride this one out. So I became very, very good and astute at, yeah, nonverbals, subtext, et cetera, et cetera. So when I was diagnosed, it really started to piece a lot together for me. And as I said, having that opportunity to go, you can change this, you can shift this, Mm -hmm. uh, was exciting for me because I'd never had that opportunity or that conversation ever in my family when I was young that there's more that can help you, so. Look, I'm not uh, creatively inclined, as 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 listeners of the show would would know, and others would say. Something I see a lot of though is our kids, in particular, who are, are creatively inclined when they express that interest in going into the arts, or um, you know, being an opera singer, or performing, or, or, or making mm-hmm. making a, a red hot go in those particular areas. Often, they're sort of diverted. Um, to other avenues, oh, mm. you know that that won't pay the bills, or that's that's not a that's not a career such as the parents might mm. see it. Mm. Um, did you ever have that sort of that sort of feedback, or mm. did you did you ever think, look, maybe I need to go and be, become a lawyer or something something that 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 uh, you know something different, I suppose. To well. The first answer is that no, Less I. Less competitive I, and more certain. I yes, suppose. exactly. I probably should have because my. It turns out that my spirit is not really good at playing the political game that you need to play when you're you're an entertainer, and so that played out later in my career. However, my initial t- response to that was my dad was my greatest fan, uh, mm. in amongst his illness. And what I realized in reflection looking back was when I sang, it was the only opportunity that I could bypass his mental condition Mm. because he could feel me. He could feel the vibration. He knew my truth. He knew my worth. And again, that was a real uh, experience for me and a learning for me to know, wow, you can impact past this mental conditioning, this suffering that this poor man was going through. It was the only way that I could make that deeper connection. And the way that I knew this was this this grown man was left sobbing in a corner because he could understand his daughter in that moment. So, so he knew that I had something special. He knew that I, I was strong on another level. And he really encouraged that. And, and my mother was, was a fabulous supporter as well. So that it was never, no, it was just, you're really good at that. Mm-hmm. I think you should keep doing it. And it was wow. just a progressive thing. Wow. So, yeah. Um, I'd like to talk, get a little bit of insight and understanding into your, your career as a singer and, and just take, take me through some of the things, what you, I guess, your, your, your achievements mm-hmm. in that field or things that you'd like to share with us about. Mm-hmm. Well, from the, the moment that I was diagnosed with the Hodgkin's disease, of course, as I said earlier, it was a career interrupted. It was, sure. am I going to sing? 
of course, I went through quite a period of, I don't want to sing. It means that I get sick. I really attached that to it. Mm. But as I worked through that, I really started to live, I suppose, a more holistic way of life. And I went on to have a modicum of success as a singer. I never went into opera companies, but I did a lot of freelance, a lot of work with orchestras around the country and and then extending overseas as well. And so I had that opportunity to really develop that craft. But I also had some phenomenal coaches, absolutely mm. phenomenal coaches that really uh, instilled the love of coaching. And that's where I really started to open up and say, okay, if I'm not going to be the great opera singer, I want to be the great coach. So that's where I really started to nail down and and really be able to identify every tiny little thing that I could possibly learn. That's a very clever pivot, I think, to go from from the opera singer uh, and and, and look, I think you're talking yourself down. I've heard you sing (laughs) even even now, even with the the, the health elements that you've overcome in your life and you're moving, moving, powerful I, I perhaps don't have the words to express I think it's something that people have to mm. have to hear to, to understand like 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 all good music and all good performances I suppose but uh, talking a little bit about uh, that I, I, I've called it the pivot or the pivot mm. to to vocal coaching take me through some of the the high points of the experiences that you've had in in, in your current business yeah look there was, there was a little bit of a, a hiatus period between the first cancer and and where I am now, which I'll fill in the gaps because it really does bring the story together. Uh, I, After having the diagnosis and having radiotherapy and chemotherapy, I was told that maybe you're not going to have children and I defied that. I went off and had children and got married and was living uh, a fairly normal life. And then at the age of 34, I was diagnosed with my second form of cancer, cancer of the cervix, which was really the moment the, of, okay, that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> There's something I, that you're doing that's I not working. Imagine. Yeah, it was imagine. just, that's enough. And it, was, it wasn't that I attached it to my singing. It was just, there's something more. I had this burning desire. There's something more for you. I had to really dig deep about what my purpose is. And so moving on from there, I had had a radical hysterectomy within five days and my OBGYN oncologist, my surgeon, a radiographer, they all came into the room, which is unheard of, yeah. all came into the hospital room after I'd had my, uh, my pathology results. And they said, look, we've come in because we want to tell you that the pathology results are clear and we're confident that we've got this, which was great. And I'm thinking, well, why are you here? You don't come to tell me good news and all, you know, can come together. And they said, but we wanted to come together because we need to tell you that you can't get this disease again. If you get this disease again, there is nothing we can do for you because your body's going to have had as much treatment that it can possibly take and it, it just will reject and, you know, you will pass. So in that moment was 
the aha moment of clarity and that was my real pivot where I went for the first time since I was that eight-year-old little girl I listened to my gut now remembering that my father being bipolar schizophrenic he knocked that out of me he knocked out that you know anything that you think see feel or do is never going to be good enough and so I stopped believing in myself and at that moment it was you've got to get up and do whatever you can to survive because I had an 18 month old and a three year old and that gut voice from within was really really loud and so I did I literally surrendered became incredibly vulnerable and just followed my intuition on every moment every conversation that led to another conversation that led to you know you should go and work with this person on a holistic level and I changed my diet I changed the environment that I lived in and also changed my marriage Mm -hmm. Um, everything shifted but what happened in amongst all of that you stared death in the face twice yeah and you, gone through all the, the the horrors of those various treatments, and I, I think someone to meet you today wouldn't no wouldn't even consider that that's that that's the the background that you have. Yeah. I think it would wipe out any good person. Certainly, good people have have struggled. You know, it, it's a struggle to go through. So it's mm. it's it's remarkable, remarkable that you you know are running your business, singing. And doing all these things, you know, fulfilling those other roles. Mm. Thank you, know, you. Wife, wife, mother, friend, <laughs> all the other things that you're doing in the community. Yeah. So that's quite remarkable. It, what happened from that moment was that I started to attract a different clientele. I started to get professionals. And I, to clarify that, I'd always been teaching singing. It was mm. something that I loved to do. And then I started to attract these professionals who were very intrigued and interested in the fact that I had sustained life and that I was thriving and you know a little bit more than the average yogi bear. And I got really interested in that. I'm like, I never thought to go and work with lawyers and doctors and and teach them about the voice. You're doing things that are much more fun than yeah yeah exactly and so i hit the pavement and i really started to research for five years i started to look at is there a gap in the market that i can create a program that i can take and and help uh, executives ceos Mm. help them communicate and i found that there was so i created the program and now have developed that program so that I work with some of the top professionals around the country, some of the leaders around the country. And they're usually, you know, in their 40s, they're quite well established, very good technically, but they haven't actually spent the time in their career to understand the micro elements of what it is to be a good presenter. And there's this unwritten rule in the professional industry today that you need to and I create this scenario in one day, you need to go to your networking event, present to your team, present to your superiors, go and do a keynote presentation and then perhaps do you know a Channel 9 interview in the afternoon. That is not 
an unrealistic expectation. It's part of the building of the personal brand. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people, I've had numerous conversations with CEOs who have said, my team are fabulous, I love them, but they're hiding. They won't come out from behind the desk mm. and the business is starting to uh, sacrifice uh, and be damaged by it because for us to compete in 2020, we need to have everyone with a voice mm. because it's the only thing that can cut through the noise of such a busy market, which is really great for me. And so that's that's where I sit now, that's where I play. So take us through a typical couple of days in the life of vocal coaching and what that looks like for your business. So it changes from week to week and I am it. I am the central unit at the moment, so still running, you know, solo, uh, gradually getting more people to help me because it's just too much. But sure. it will will oscillate between I might have maybe oh, 30 hours of, of corporate coaching or working with executives throughout the week and that that's about preparing their session post-production, I call it post-production, I'm still in, in creative mode, and, and, and then of course, you know, building leads and getting future work. And then in the evenings and on Saturday, I put on the, the hat of working with some of the country's great young singers, which I have this incredible talent that's in my studio for singers and I'm just attracting a certain type of singer and I have yeah. a couple that are really in the limelight this year, which is really exciting. So I've got this diversity. I, I can remember att attending a, 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 an event of yours and uh, just being surprised. It was, it was like a, a who's who <laughs> of, of, of various singers. But, yep. uh, you know, again, just, just, just demonstrating Mm. I guess the, the very broad application of, of mm. and, and, and utility of what it is that mm. you and your business are bringing to the market. Mm. Um, so the professionals and, and other people, the voice is very symbolic, isn't it? It's, it's when you talk about people, we talk about people having a voice, you know, the Chamber who sponsors this podcast, we talk about being the voice of local business. So there's mm. a symbolism with the voice in getting mm -hmm. your message across and, and in advocacy and in communication. Do, do you relate to that? Does that, does that Absolutely. Drive, do you have a bit of a fascination yeah. with the voice? And, and the more people that I talk to, the more I can influence, which, you know, for the better, because mm. the voice is your signature. It is the stamp. And I always use the scenario of if you were at a funeral and the person's doing a eulogy of the person who's passed, mm. that person never talks about how much money they earned, what sort of car they drove. Mm. They, drove they speak about the conversations they had and the way that person made them feel. Because every time you have a conversation with someone, you're affecting them on a much deeper level, on a much more vibrational level. level. It's a legacy. Every conversation is a legacy and you must lead with the, with the right tone to make sure that you're making the impact that you want left and remembered. I mean, I know now my dad has passed, but I can think and I can feel the vibration of his tone still inside of me. It never leaves you. We have conversations all day, every day, and in those conversations, we're making split-second decisions based on how that person makes us feel as to whether we're going to invest in them, whether it be a relationship or time or money. 
So we're doing this intrinsically as human beings all the time. If we can take it to the next level and actually make sure that our voice is having the impact that we want it to have, it's not telling a story that we don't want told because sometimes it tells sneaky little stories that makes people feel uneasy. So are you finding a lot of the people that you help have a story to tell, they have something to communicate and they're just, it's suffering in the, in, in the, in the delivery? Is that a common? Really, really common. They've got a lot inside you know, trapped in inside their heart, I like to call it. And there's nothing worse than, than having all of that information and having that desire to communicate it to the world about, you know, their values, their beliefs, their desires, what their message is in their lifetime on the planet. And so for whatever reason, whether it's conditioning, whether it's self-belief system, whether they're just stuck too much in their head with the rant that goes on and then yeah. listening to the imposter in their head. For so many reasons, it's just a barrier that we can break down and, and teach them yeah. how to actually get past that and feel not just confident, but actually enjoy the experience. You know, when you, when you can communicate and make that aha moment and light bulb go off in someone, I mean, that's what I chase. You want that moment. So that's, that's why I do it. I've attended a couple of your sessions that you throw to a broader audience to, to come in and, and as, as you say, create a safe place, a safe space. And I have to say, they've been remarkable experiences for myself. Uh, and, you know, this isn't about me, but I've, a couple of times I've, I've seen people visibly surprised by the progress they've made mm. with their voice. Mm. Um, very practical things that you've helped with posture uh, and, and, and other things. Um, you know, I've seen instances where you know a male student has you know you've you've helped them, and the ladies in the room have swooned after they've, they've made certain adjustments. So, yeah. <laughs> things that we don't think, think about or expect when you Absolutely. go to local coaching, and and and, and vice versa too. Um, situations where where, where where ladies who have identified themselves as a bit of a wallflower have presented and in one or two sentences with a few adjustments you know you know the, the, the audience are, are rocked back on the back of mm. their seats with the power of what they've, they've just heard mm. in, 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 incredibly remarkable stuff do you have any situations that stick out to you I obviously can't share we wouldn't share names with us but mm. instances that really stick out in your mind um, of immediate uh, impacts. Yeah. Look, there's 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 many moments, and just going in and doing presenting because I I keynote and and present myself mm -hmm. and tell the the story, and educate. There was one most recently where there was a heckler in the room, one lady up the back, and she was just not listening the whole time and laughing and giggling, and I just you know I it doesn't bother me. I don't get phased mm -hmm. by it. But at the end of the uh, session, I opened the floor spontaneously and said, okay, who wants to get up the front and work with me? Mm. And she put her hand up. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, here we go. I don't know what you I'm gonna get. You out. never know what you're yeah, gonna get. Yeah. So I suppose the improvisation that I've learned from being an entertainer, I went, let's just go with this. And I said, okay, I want you to tell me your name and what you do. She looked at me as if I was stupid. Well, I know how to say my name. I said, okay, and I can't remember her name exactly, but she said, my name's Jenny Smith and I'm a nurse. Okay, Jenny, that's great, perfect. 
I said, now I'd like you to say it again and I'd like you to actually say your name and land your name, not with a question, actually make a statement. So she said, my name's Jenny Smith. And said, no, that's a question. Anything with an upward inflection is a question. We need, my name is Jenny Smith. Stop, statement. And uh, she did it, she landed it first time and burst into tears. Absolutely burst into tears, which wow. took me back. And I realized that for the first time in her life, she had said her name and felt it. And the room responded with a spontaneous applause. Wow. The voice is a vibration. Once the voice has left our body, once we've attached all of our beliefs, our desires to the breath, which is the vehicle, comes through the vocal cords and we have a process of putting it into the vibration in our, our vib um, resonating cavities in our face through our articulators and the voice leaves the body. We can't do anything once the voice has left the body. Yeah. It takes on the form of a sound wave. And this is where I like to get scientific and say that sound penetrates mass. We all know that. So my voice right now is landing on your body and is penetrating your body so that you feel a sympathetic vibration. And you have one of two responses. You either like it or you don't. That's it. And so in that moment that this young lady actually felt the vibration of her voice, which landed on the listener, and I went, yeah, Jenny's in the room. It made an impact. So there's, there, there's so many stories on varying levels of that, um, some very deeply personal levels, how the, the voice is actually affecting um, their, their work. And that's what I was talking about before, about the voice tells stories and sometimes stories that you don't want told. And you know, there's, there's stories of people who've been um, abused, uh, choked, uh, sexually abused, and it's all locked up in the throat. And within a couple of sessions, we can tap into that and clear that. And then they're communicating on a completely different level straight away. So there's all different levels. You know, you, you become a little bit of a, I'd love to go back and study psychiatry. Um, I have a team of people that I work with that if I get to that level that I think they need to go and have some help, they, they go off and do that because I can't cross those boundaries. But um, it, you're working on, a, on a, a deep level with your clients. And everyone that I talk to, I can hear the story of their life straight away and diagnose it and really understand what they're really trying to say. Mm. Um, and you know, that can go for and against you where you know when people are lying to you straight away. You're like, mm -mm, that's not working for me. So, I mean, there's just so many stories I could tell. Well, I'll be careful what I say around here from <laughs> now on. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, thank you very much. The, the opera singer from Logan uh, turned vocal coach, helping people find their voice. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Before we end, we want to institute a short segment by way of a review of the interview we have just heard. We're going to call this Five in a Nutshell, or in other words, five lessons we have learned from Lisa's story. One, own your family. Warts and all, they will help you in ways that you may never expect. Two, 
The arts uniquely prepared Lisa for a life in business. Never let yourself be pigeonholed or talked down from your dreams. Or in Lisa's case, the water tank. Three, build the team you need around you. Choose helpers and don't be afraid to call on them. Some may come from unlikely places. Four, unless you have dealt with cancer twice and broken up with your oncologist, it is worth remembering that the challenges you or I am facing could still be worse. Five, voice is so important. It, it itself tells a story. Consider and use the tool of your voice in your business and career. Thank you for listening to our first Business by Logan podcast. Whether you are a dedicated or accidental entrepreneur, we hope you'll subscribe and grow with us as we bring you practical business wisdom straight from the coalface of Logan, Queensland's most dynamic and diverse city.